Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us this week, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So this song, you know, to me, is U2, which is who is doing this, kind of as blue-eyed soul, you know. that's They sound like somebody from... Muscle Shoals or something, a little bit. You know, yeah. it's just got that sound to it. Doesn't sound Irish. <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, it's it, you know, the song's been out for 25 years or so, which is nothing anymore. Yes. But uh, I never really heard this song. I guess it was a big hit, wasn't it? I'd never heard it. Don't know how it charted exactly, but it certainly has been played plenty on the radio stations. At least the, the ones, ones I, I listen to, the Tom. Ones I listen to. <laughs> All right. So we got a bunch of stuff here. I don't know. What do you guys want to start with? Start with the these two. Yeah. Com- companies big and small lose access to credit. All right. Start. Start. <laughs> yeah, go. 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 Yeah. So everything that's been going on with the banking industry recently, uh, regional banks, uh, large banks, uh, you saw it with Credit Suisse, uh, um, Deutsche Bank, you know, different things. Um, so those are not regional banks. Those They're are not regional. Banks. Those are large. Yeah. But it started with uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which we, we talked quite a bit about that last week. But when you're looking at 
especially small businesses and getting access to funding. Um, th- this is kind of the effect of what's going on with the banking now. Um, All right, I, let me say this. I'm a small business. I do not bank with a large bank and won't. Yeah. The reason is that they are not set up, no matter what they say, to really understand the needs of, of, of small businesses. So if you are a small business, I would recommend that you bank with a small bank. Now, a lot of them don't. But if you need access to funding, because a lot of these smaller to medium-sized banks have not been affected by this kind of thing. They really haven't. Like you say, I would say the people that are losing access to credit are small to medium-sized businesses banking with large banks. Yeah. I bet that's that's what's going on. This was an interesting piece. So it, it's it's getting the loans, but it's also what's been going on in the treasury markets, the volatility right. there. And um, that's unprecedented. Yeah. And so uh, I'll read this. No companies with investment-grade credit ratings sold new bonds over the six business days from March 10th to March 17th. How could they? You know, you couldn't do it. Yeah. You couldn't price a deal. Exactly. Because you didn't know where the treasuries so were going to be. First time that's happened since 2013. Um, and then, obviously, junk bond sales is, you know, basically nothing has been happening this month. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, yeah. all all the, the bond issuance that's just kind of come to a halt right now because if – if, if it, it operates on a spread to yeah. the treasuries. And you'd have to know where the treasuries yeah, are to get to do the spread. Exactly. They could be, you know, banking on a 5% cost and it comes in at six. That's or, right. Uh, so there's, so the only people they're going to issue right now are people that absolutely have to get the deal done. Right. Because if treasuries are trading weird, I guarantee you corporates are way more gappy. Right. So on uh, junk bonds this month, the, for the whole month, uh, has been five billion issued uh, versus the five-year average of twenty-four billion. Um, now, over the last five years, you've been in a zero interest rate environment, so they've been issuing more. I mean, that's that's kind of a duh moment there because rates have gone up. But the fact is that there's so much volatility, they really can't. Um, so the new supply uh, coming on is very low. Uh, we've we've seen that with. Uh, mortgage bonds, you know, new supply coming in very low. Yeah. Um, and we, so and we have a little exposure in that area, but they're, they're government guaranteed mortgages, right? Mortgage, mortgage backed securities rather. Right. And so the, the regional banks with the pressure there, that's steamrolled into uh, the treasuries, it's steamrolled into a lot of different areas. Um, and so we're, it's kind of one of those situations you're waiting to see what the effect is on the corporate side uh, on getting access to this capital. So, so, so how does this affect the average investor? Right now, it's just market volatility. Right. What's yet to be seen is where it reverberates over the next six months. Um, with, uh, I mean, going all the way down to the consumer. Yeah. Um, because if you start having 
smaller businesses uh, have issues getting funding or rolling debt, then that'll reverberate down to employees and into the economy. So we're waiting to see, but the market's pricing this in right now. And you what? know what would happen at that point? Nah. Fiscal cliff. Fiscal cliff. <laughs> uh, no, I think if you have a bond fund, let's say you own bonds in a bond fund that you know prices every day, it's yeah. going to jump around because they don't really know where a lot of this stuff is. You know, and the reason is uh, a lot of these bond front funds get priced by a matrix. It's a they they estimate what the spread is over treasuries, and at the end of the day, they price it at plus sixty or plus eighty to the to the ten year or what have you, and that's how they price the bonds in those bond funds on a daily basis. And so you're going to see them bounce around, and there's people that are going to dispute some of the way those things get priced. Well, I think the risk that also affecting businesses is, you, Mike said, access to capital being cut. Uh, that would be in the form of lines of credit that right now maybe a business has a $100,000 line of credit, but because of just general uh, tightening of risk controls at the bank – uh, that serving that that they have that line of credit with, they may cut it to fifty million well, or fifty thousand, based on nothing other than the fact that they have to do a haircut across the board. Well, now I talked to my small banker yesterday morning, and I said, "Are you guys seeing any uh, people pulling their?" He said, "Absolutely none." He says the only thing that that, that we're seeing is that the value of the treasuries in our portfolio bounces up and down so there are a lot of banks that it's not affecting this is a sign to me what makes america robust we don't just have five banks all of which could seize up at the same time mm-hmm. we have well, how many community banks are in this country three or four thousand maybe i mean you know we've got lots of different sources of credit that's that's healthy yeah that is very healthy, and that's why I bank with a small bank, you know, and, and uh, I think people should think about that when they're making their banking decisions. A lot of people think, well, you know, I'm just going to go with the big guys. Well, the big guys have a certain set of risks. Number one of the thing, there are a lot of people there out there who do not expect be to be treated as if they are special by their financial institution. Now, you could say, well, I could put my money with Merrill Lynch and I'm with the big guys. Or you could say, I'm going to put my money at Dupree Financial Group. But you may not really care about somebody really caring about you. If you do, you know, we might be a good choice for somebody. Here's the other thing. I've got my money sitting in a checking account in the bank, you know, a big bank, and they're paying me one-tenth of 1%, or maybe they're paying you 3%. We have money market funds that are backed by U.S. Treasuries here at our firm that are paying over 4%. Mm -hmm. You have no excuse if you have cash balances sitting around 250 below or above to not have it completely backed by the treasury or, and I would take a treasury guarantee over an FDIC guarantee because then you got to wait in line or whatever. But, um, and you could put that money here. We'll, we'll, you know, I, I'm 
just using this as a chance to do an advertisement. <laughs> is is that so wrong? No. I, 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 I mean, Shameless the, the thing of it is, people out there, they don't localize their financial advice enough. Yeah. You know, the fact is you can get something that's better than what you've got. And that's why we exist because we have a lot of clients that seem to like the way we do things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the personal touch. Well, Tom, you, you mentioned also the, the rates on the government guaranteed under, underpinnings that are in the money market funds. Well, we've been proactive about that. We've been watching Absolutely. those rates. And when it became more attractive to actually have some money in there, we were absolutely fine shifting we could reduce risk and pick up the improve the yield for our clients so we're proactive about this we're looking at at the markets uh, fixed You've been income all over equity markets right trying to make sure that we're we're <laughs> fine-tuning the portfolio to to benefit our clients and, as much and as now possible. what we're doing and here's the thing that's interesting is that we're seeing cash balances that you know 15 months ago or whatever were were a zero you know, because they were sitting in there. Now it's 4%. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a better dividend than we're getting on some stocks. And I think what's happened to some dividend-paying stocks, part of the reason that they may have traded off a little bit is there's now more competition from yeah. cash. Yeah. That's right. Um, I mean, you know, to me, it seems like it's part of the problem for dividend paying stocks unless there's a growth component there that is compelling enough to want to own that over and above cash right and it's um long-term opportunity costs though uh because if you're someone who's you know if you have a 20-year investment horizon or you're you're let's say you're retiring today you can have it in cash earning four percent that's better than zero but that's a that's a band-aid uh, right. You know, money market's not going to stay at four percent forever. It's going to change. Well, yeah, but I mean, you don't know but how long. You don't know how long, but it, it won't be forever. But if you look at some of these companies that pay dividends that have raised their dividends over time, you know, right. that's the long term view on things. You know, so you can you can use periods like this where you have interest rates that have done what they've done. And you can buy good companies that the prices come down, thus you get a higher dividend yield, and hopefully that continues to be a rising stream of income, increasing the dividends over time. And and that would take place if they were also increasing their earnings, which would over time, you know, give you a bump in the price, right, of the stock, because that's sort of a the way it works. Yeah. Well, there, there's some other disruptions that I, I think you'll see happen in the market. I mean, you have some companies, or this is mainly happening in the corporate side of things, the, the, these big real estate investment trusts that own uh, office properties or other properties out there that are, have loans that are up for refinancing here in the next year or two, they're going to be refinanced at a higher rate. And pulling this back to a conversation, what you, Mike mentioned, you thought that this is temporary excess volatility or higher volatility in the fixed income market, but we'll see more repercussions down the road. I think that's what markets are bracing for right now is just seeing the businesses that have to refinance. They've got loans that are maturing, have to refinance. They're going to have to do that at the higher rate at a higher rate. And that's the kind of thing that will eat into profit margins at these companies. Those are the kind of issues we're 
researching here at Dupree, and we are trying to make sure that we're factoring that into our investment decision and part of the investment case. And it's a, it's an important thing to consider for any investor. Well, yeah, exactly. And remember the the market is a forward looking mechanism. So when you see price movements, not necessarily on a daily basis. I mean, the market just does what it does. There, you can try to explain it on a daily basis. Sometimes it just it just gets down to you know there's more sellers or more buyers than there are the other side. But the market is you you think of what the market is. It's the world speculating, trying to come to a, a present value of a company. Um, and they're taking into account what they, when I say they, what the market, what these analysts, traders, all that, what the market views is going to happen over the next eight to 10 months. And that's what's being priced today. And so that's when you can get opportunities is when the market's pricing in all this bad news and maybe it's not as bad or they, there's an improvement where there wasn't seen or there's there's something unexpected and those unexpected things can be both good and bad um, and that's where the portfolio management comes in is to be able to weather the the bad unexpected things be able to weather that and hopefully take advantage of it well that's right and You've probably heard over the years people say it's becoming a stock picker's market. Well, it's we won't know until we have the benefit of hindsight if it really was a stock picker's market. But one thing's for sure is we have there's there's a palpable degree of fear about the financial sector stocks at this point, and that means there's opportunity for uh, the the companies that have had conservative balance sheets, haven't made excess risks, haven't leaned too far out over their skis. Uh, ski tips, then those are the companies that we're searching for here right now, trying to find the names that uh, that are being punished just because the whole sector is being punished. And uh, that's how we strive to add value here. Yeah, that, exactly. And it's knowing what you own. And knowing what you own, is, is, you know, it, sounds, it sounds good, but here, here's the practical part of that. When you have a market disruption – things get bad, that's when you have to know the reasons for owning what you own. Absolutely. And looking at the financials, looking at management, going back, testing, retesting the thesis on why you own that, that's how you can come about, is it a bargain at the, at, the, at that price? Right. So every time you look at something that you are going to buy, you know, you have to measure it against what's out there competing for that money. And I want to talk a little bit in the next uh, segment about, you know, where are interest rates going? And by interest rates, I'm really talking about the 10-year Treasury yield, which got up to, you know, like a five, 450 back six, seven months ago. Now we're looking at uh, around a 335, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Right yield to maturity 3.35 so down roughly a little over a percent from yeah. as high as it got and it was only there briefly where it got to the high but the 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 thing that you know 
what we have to ascertain is what is the market saying is going to be the risk-free rate of return. That is the return on the 10-year treasury. If we're going to go there and stay there, then all other risk assets will be priced off of that. It'll be the 10-year treasury yield plus something. Warren Buffett's used that for years, and a lot of really good investors have also. The point is, you know, your treasury yield is to a certain extent the predictor of inflation because inflation is a tax that takes directly out of your pocket the purchasing power of your dollars. Now, your inflation may be different than my inflation. I might be buying stuff that's actually gone down in price. You know, like oil, which has gone from 120 to 60 and change. That's a big drop. But there are other things out there that have gone up. I happen to believe that the 10-year Treasury is telling us that inflation is going to be lower than what the Fed thinks. Bank break When banks break, there's no way that can be inflationary. Although... Yeah. Some folks uh, think it could be if they inject a lot of stuff into the system, but that only makes a difference if all that money doesn't just sit there. It starts chasing goods and services, which for a long time, it didn't do anything like that. But I think COVID changed a lot of buying habits, yeah. and people started buying stuff because they were bored uh, sitting at home. And, Robin Hood. Uh, you know, and they got on Robin Hood. And that was the way that some of them financially self-destructed. But they were playing with the house's money because the government had given them a stimulus check. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so. So, you're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, I'm, Tom Dupree. No, you're not dumb for the hour. You're dumb for this segment. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Tom Dupree Show. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Tom Dupree. Are you concerned about sudden and swift moves in the market? Are you concerned about the security of your money? At Dupree Financial Group, we take these things very seriously. Research drives our investing as well as where we put our clients' cash reserves. For a complimentary analysis of your investment portfolios as well as your cash reserves, Call us at 859-233-0400. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturday mornings at News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Listen to our podcast at DupreeFinancial.com. Call us at 859-233-0400.
are perfect in every dimension. She's got a figure that's shown of great attention. She's poetry in motion, a beautiful sight to see. I get so excited viewing her anatomy. She's shield, she's tall, she's tight. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us for this segment of our financial hour, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we're powered by Dupree Financial Group. So there's a story behind this uh, song. Uh, this was not a Shazam song. Uh, well, so we're standing on the... We went to Washington, D.C. this this week because we actually were going to Bethesda, Maryland to visit with a company that we have in our portfolio. But we, you know, flew into Reagan Airport. Then we took the, uh, probably could have taken the train in hindsight, but instead we took the cab to uh, Union Station, which is, just across the river, kind of a little bit east of the White House. And then from there, we actually took the metro, the subway, out to uh, Bethesda, Maryland. And it turned out that the place where you got off the subway was like 150 feet from where we were going for our, I mean, literally, it was almost in the same building where we got off on the subway but when we came back we stopped a little bit before we got to union station and walked around near the white house <laughs> and this guy was out on the street uh playing a uh, boom box <clears throat> just getting down i don't know he was just having a good time I mean, he was playing this song and he told me that he had grown up in washington dc and played sports, all the sports, and just the nicest guy. And uh, I, I happen to believe that in in, in Washington D.C., sort of like New York, that the people working on the streets, around the streets, they're going to tell you more about what's really going on than the people that are supposedly in charge. That's kind of a sad, sad observation there, but it's it's true, I believe. So uh, anyway, that was. It just made me think about that, you know, and we walked by the Treasury Department, which is, of course, headed up by Janet Yellen. And I mean, I that's the greatest financial genius of certainly of my career. Uh, the, the the best I've ever seen is, is Janet Yellen um, telling us that inflation was transitory. So anyway. All right. Um, so you are joking, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, just to clear that up. So let's get back to this interest rate thing. So there's a guy named Jeffrey Gundlach, G-U-N-D-L-A-C-H. He's a bond guy, investor. And he believes that uh, that uh, Jay Powell, 
when he said uh, on Wednesday that, you know, we were going to stop raising rates for a while, but we would not have rate cuts for the remainder or, or the balance of 2023. Uh, Jeffrey Gunlock believes that's not really true. Now, Powell, in my opinion, is very stubborn and wants to be known as a guy that sort of is doing his own thing. But I don't think he really has the economic vibe. In fact, he's not an economist, which is how he got to be the chairman of the Fed. I don't know. But if you assume that the the rate on the 10-year treasury is going to go lower over time, and, le- and the, the next stop is 3%, you know, we're, we're down at 335 or whatever, 3.35. Are we going to 3%? If we're going to 3%, risk assets will get priced off of that. So that's kind of what I'm saying. And, and, and listen, guys, I don't care, you know, lower interest rates, if they stay lower and go lower, gives you and gives the green light for equities to go up in price. Unless it's lower because the bottom's falling out and earnings are going to deteriorate everywhere. So, but earnings, you know, bonds embedded in portfolios in things like insurance companies, mortgage REITs, banks to some degree, those are all going to go up in price, increases book value in these things. Yeah. Well, earnings, when you have these turns and what it's too early to say if this is a turn, but generally analysts are overly optimistic when the market's about to turn south and vice versa. And So, Chad, are we going into a recession? I don't know. I can tell you that the conditions are there for <laughs> you it. You certainly but, think about it a lot. <laughs> but the reason I bring it up, Tom, is because the earnings forecast for this year for the S&P 500 companies is still considered a little bit too optimistic. And case in point, uh, there are you know, several bank stocks that are they're still showing up. Their earnings per share are still showing up that are probably going to have negative earnings Are, are you year. looking still at, in that, so uh, we're in that coming forecast. up to the end of a quarter. Right. And when will your earnings start coming in? Around uh, four weeks later? Second week of uh, the new quarter, so about mid-April. Oh, so you'll see them that quick. Right, for first quarter, yes. Yeah, uh, but, so it takes them, they but can on average, it's about the four first weeks. quarter quicker. Yeah, well, it's staggered, but yes, you see that generally the, the large banks will report about the second Friday of the new quarter. That's typically when the earnings season kicks off. A few industrial companies will report in and around that time period. And then uh, it just, it goes out. Uh, retailers will report much later typically, but uh, it's, it, most of the, the earnings are reported in the, the first banks four can weeks. pretty well tell you they've marked everything to market right. as they've been going. And, and so all they got to do is just go down and look at it. Right. So, but that's what we're, I think is still going to happen. Earnings are going to come down. The earnings forecast are going to come down um, to match the, actual earnings that we see, but it's just, it's, it's a fool's errand to try to predict how much they're going to come down. But I bring that up because you talk about valuations. I mean, they definitely are, uh, lower interest rates will lead to higher stock prices, but that's the other variable I think is how much earnings come down to see how cheap the stocks really end up being out of uh, coming, coming through this. Well, I I think a big part of it too is the stability in the rates. You know, we saw it in January and February. That's exactly right. When rates were higher than they are today, 
but you had the the it was a risk on two months. Uh, right. You had tech stocks. I mean, kind of across the board, risk on in the market with higher rates, but the market thought it had a clear path on where rates were going or some stabilization. This last month is just all that volatility, which has disrupted things. So even if rates don't go all the way back down, if they stabilize, you could start seeing the market uh, react positively to that. Yeah. Well, and one thing that... In fact, stabilizing might be better than anything. Yeah. We don't see it. Yes, absolutely. You don't hear it talked about a whole lot, but the... Uh, the prognosticators that try to to uh, track the real-time economic data to determine what our gross domestic product growth rate's going to be. Uh, the Atlanta Fed has the one that's widely watched by everybody, and, and that is actually forecasting GDP growth year over year for this first quarter of over 3% still. So we, uh, it's things are not, that's why Tom asked if there's a recession coming. And I said, I don't know. There's data that supports it for sure. But you look at a GDP number like that, it's it it's very difficult to have a recession when GDP is growing. So it's, uh, it, it, now you really are starting to sound like an economist. I man. am. So I want to know how many <laughs> other hands you have. I have just one hand, and then I, I uh, will say on the other hand, but I have to get somebody else's hand because, anyway. <laughs> uh, bad attempt at a joke there. Sorry. Uh, yeah, he's the not one-handed on, he's, economist. He's not on here for the jokes. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. Well, I mean, let, let me just say this. So, so <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't even mean to be insulting. I just come out that way sometimes. <laughs> the, the, the point that I think – people need to consider Mike said it earlier and this is something we do say know what you own there are a lot of people out there who would and I hate to say this but it's true they would rather not know what they own they're not that interested they're not interested in learning about it it's like you know if somebody works on my car I want to know what they did to it. Now, today, cars have a little more in terms of moving parts than they used to have. The more moving parts you have, the easier it is for something to break. It's just that way. And when you have, if, if you have someone or somebody that can help you break what you have whether it's a car or your investments or whatever, break it down into easier bites to understand. Or your health. Your health, yeah. That's where you want to be. You want to have a relative amount of understanding about what you own. But I'm going to tell you, most people do not know and don't want to know and here's why look at how many people put money with bernie madoff and would do it again they didn't want to know the details Mm -hmm. all they wanted to know was what's it doing there's advisors i know of people put money with them because it's it's a name brand they don't do any research into what the methodology is of why 
that person invests the way he or she does. It's simply the brand. Now, that's not to say that you don't want to have a relationship with your advisor. And there are certain things that you're just not going to understand because that's not what you do. But it's better to have more understanding than less. And if you can sort of interpret what your advisor is saying in a way that makes it makes it a thing you can understand, you're better off. Yeah. That's why we send out newsletters that have explanations in them. Right. Tom, I think it's also, you mentioned what, know what you own, but I think you need to know why, why? you own it. That's in a very important part. Couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. And on that explanation, um, when we're meeting with our clients, remember, it's a relationship. We know our clients. When we know our clients, we're not talking the same way to all of our clients. Right. We're telling the same story. We're, we're given the details of the holdings, but we know which which of our their personalities are like their personalities. Which ones are interested in it? Which ones, when you say this is the price to earnings ratio, boom, glazed eyes right. because they're not interested. That's right. There and so there's no point in what it. What, you explain that in a different way, and right. it's not better or worse it's just how people understand and some process. people are process some people are visual some people you know want to hear the story and so that's part that's the relationship part of it um now when we were talking about interest rates i think this is an important point to make there are firms out there um uh, that trade and so when, you know, when somebody's talking about, okay, what, what are interest rates going to do? Some people, their mind immediately goes to, well, they're trading based on this. Yeah. It's a very important distinction. We're not traders. We're investors. So when we're talking about what interest rates are, what we think interest rates are going to do, could do, we're looking at it from the point of view, okay, if this event happens, what effect does that have on this How does holding? that affect my long-term investment? Long-term investment. It's not a trade. And that is vital f- for our listeners to understand, not jumping in and out of things. You know, when you have a, a baseline thesis of what's going to happen, and then you adjust that, you look, okay, if this happens, how's that affect it? Or what opportunities could that provide? That's the watching part of it. So let's say you have a dividend-paying stock. A dividend-paying stock, or it could be an interest-paying bond, the, the dividends or the interest you get is not part of your principal. You're not getting your principal paid back to you. You are getting paid because you have your principal yeah. invested in that security. So whatever it is that that investment throws off in terms of either a dividend or principal, I mean, not no <laughs> dividend or interest or interest, not principal. That's a cash payment to you. Now we've advertised that a little bit. That is an element of total return. The other part of the total return picture is 
does the security itself not consequent to the dividend, but does it go up or down on its own apart from the fact that it pays a dividend? So let's say you buy a stock for $30. It pays $3 a year in dividend. That's a 10% yield. You buy it at $30 in a year, it goes up to $33. And it's also paid $3 in dividend. You've made a 20% total return because you made 10% of a return on the appreciation part and 10% on the dividend. Now, the appreciation is not taxable until you sell the stock. The dividend is taxable. So it's taxable in the current year. So if it's in a taxable account, you're actually going to have to pay tax on some of that total return, i.e. the dividend part. If you sell the stock prior to having held it for a year, you're going to get taxed at the regular income rate on your gain. I think it's a year. Yes. And then if it goes beyond a year and you sell it, now you're getting taxed at a reduced rate for the capital gain. But the thing that we're always looking for in any investment that we buy, what is the total return? Not just what the dividend is, but what is it throwing off in terms of dividend and appreciation? Right. And when you're, when you're looking at dividends, so let's say you have a mutual fund, an open-end mutual fund, just a regular like you'd see in a 401k. The the yield on that fund bad can be mutual mis- fund. bad mutual fund. Bad mutual fund. It, it can be misleading uh, because some of the distribution that they classify as a yield is actually from capital gains from inside the fund. Um, and so – when you own that fund, pay capital gains. <laughs> I pay tax. Fund goes down. Sucks. Don't like. If you buy a fund, mutual fund today, it may have unrealized capital gains that it's been sitting on for several years, oh, and you get to pay the that. taxes on it. Oh, no. I'm trying to blow oh, your mind, no. Tom. I can't deal with it. Now, if it's inside of an IRA, no problem. Right. But if it's in a taxable account, <laughs> but when you're looking at consistency of dividends. The fund can better have, find something to can, take a loss on. Well, the fund can have a distribution yeah. from capital gains, and that is not they can the have dividend short yield. and long term capital gain but distribution. That is not that's the dividend. That's not the dividend. Yield. Exactly. And it's very confusing. That's why we don't really do mutual funds. Right. Because people can feel very beat up by those. Yeah. And it, but if you're looking at a particular company that's paying a dividend, you know what that dividend. And you look at okay, this company's paid a dividend and raised it for sixty years. There's one yeah. in our portfolio that has done that. That's a consistent dividend payer. Now, that being said, so you think about it, what would be the best time if you're going to buy a mutual fund to buy one after a major market decline? Why is that? Well, a lot of the embedded capital gain has dropped down and might even be a loss right now. And you're not going to be buying into something that's potentially a booby trap. The other thing is they tend to sell their stuff in a drop and they will have sold some of their gainers as well as their losers. So you're going to get rid of a lot of that. The time when they get all that hugely embedded capital gain is after a long rally. 
typically. Right. Well, you don't have control over when that portfolio manager that's running the mutual fund decides to buy or sell when they realize those losses, how much of those losses they realize versus defer. So you really don't have any, you don't even know until they report it later on. That's right. You don't even get an estimate until about end of October, beginning of November each year. There was a a Vanguard fund last year. I forget which one it was. It was an open end fund, but they uh, changed the share class minimum and so basically all that meant was that owners in this fund could get into another one in a cheaper class. So all kinds of them did. And then the ones that were left holding the bucket, they had a massive capital gains distribution in a down year. Right. Because they had to liquidate all those shares to let yeah. them go. All Thanks. right. That's a wrap for this hour. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Mike Johnson, Chad Sturzel, our host, Tom Dupree. If you'd like to come see us, 859-233-0400. If you don't know what you owned, even if you do know what you own, we'll help make it a little bit clear in these turbulent times. By the way, Elizabeth (laughs) We'll be back in just a few minutes.